Welcome to Iodine Intelligence, empowering intelligent care. Welcome to Iodine Intelligence, Empowering Intelligent Care, a podcast brought to you by the experts at Iodine. I'm your host, Lauren Hickey. Artificial intelligence has been an area of significant interest for the healthcare industry for years, and that interest is only growing in the face of prevailing financial headwinds and staffing shortages. In a crowded field of AI-powered solutions promising to solve healthcare's more pressing issues, it can be difficult to truly evaluate their capabilities and potentials. Joining us today is Preeti Shah, Iodine's Chief Product and Technology Officer, to discuss a framework for making sense of AI and its potential and some of its applications in the mid-revenue cycle. Welcome back to the podcast, Preeti. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. So first, before we dive into sort of the complications of AI and the confusion surrounding it, I want to spend just a few moments outlining the promise of AI, particularly in healthcare. Because while there's a lot of buzz around artificial intelligence, people might not be aware of the actual real-world applications of it. So the first advantage AI brings is automation. Can you speak a bit on that? Absolutely. So, you know, when I think about AI, I think one of the most basic applications of AI is simply automating tasks where you don't need a human to perform Um so we're all extremely familiar with robotic process automation. Um, we know that we can actually augment the power of robotic process automation even further when you complement it with an AI tool. So for example, RPA can be great for bridging the gap between disparate systems that don't integrate well. And we all are very familiar with that in healthcare. So for example, when you want to look up a medical record in an EMR while you're in a secondary system, you can use RPA to look up that record in that EMR and pop it open in the system that your agents are working from. This absolutely helps them streamline their user workflow and consequently improves their productivity. Right. So then second big application of artificial intelligence is improving efficiency. Uh, and that includes efficiency of judgment. Oh, right. So if you have a task where um, you can't automatically get it automated because it requires human intervention or human judgment, you can still absolutely augment and enhance your staff's productivity with AI-powered tools. So for example, um, most hospitals have clinical documentation integrity departments that employ uh, nurses to read hospital documentation all day long. Um, these nurses are searching for gaps between the clinical reality and the medical record. They often have to challenge physicians on how they've represented a medical condition in their notes in order to make sure that the hospital records are accurate and precise before coding and billing. That, as you can imagine, is a really complex job. But we've seen that if you can actually pair one of these nurses with an AI model, they can be much, much more productive. So your AI model can pre-scan patient records, looking for those discrepancies, you know, that needle in the haystack and flag uh, these to the documentation nurses to help them identify the problem faster and get them resolved faster. So the third big advantage of artificial intelligence is timeliness, because unlike humans, artificial intelligence doesn't sleep. 
that's the beauty for sure. Um, you can absolutely ask an AI model to actively evaluate your entire patient census 24 seven. The truth is realistically, you as a provider system are never going to be able to employ sufficient workforce to constantly monitor all your patients day, night, and weekends. Um, an example of this would be uh, monitoring your post-op patients, combining software and clinical decision support algorithms to calculate early warning signs that signal possible patient deterioration, such as respiratory failure or cardiac arrest. And then finally, the last area that we're going to cover today where artificial intelligence can really help health systems out is just in the consistency of your results. So can you give our listeners some additional details here? Yeah. Uh, what I find really, really fascinating is that an AI model can definitely help establish a baseline level of competence rather than really relying on the strengths and weaknesses of individual staff who might have different experiences, different clinical backgrounds. Uh, so a great example of this would be AI-powered camera technology can help ensure consistent patient positioning for CT scans, resulting in better image quality, less image noise, and reduced radiation doses to your patient. All right, so our listeners might be thinking, wow, this all sounds really great. How can I get me some AI? But that's actually sort of the step in the process where people can run into difficulties sometimes because AI can be very confusing, especially to the average person who is not a trained data scientist. So one of the barriers is really just that artificial intelligence is really hot right now. Everyone's talking about it. Everyone's using it, right? Yeah, you know, I like to kind of say uh, that evaluating AI today is really confusing for two primary reasons. The first one is that AI, as you mentioned, is just a hot space and you're the term banded around a lot. There's just simply buzzword inflation. Mm -hmm. Everybody's trying to claim that they use some form of AI. And unfortunately, they all mean something slightly different when they make that claim. Uh, the second problem is that even within the field of computer science, AI is not well-defined. Um, it's really nebulous and is really uh, more referred to as an umbrella term that covers a lot of different tools and technologies that can be um, positioned to solve different types of problems. So the only common connective tissue or the common theme is that everybody agrees that it's the application of computer systems to perform tasks that normally require human intelligence because traditionally or historically it's been too complicated for computers to solve and as we all know that's changing on a day-by-day -day basis as well uh, primarily as uh, computers become more advanced and we rely on them to do a lot more than ever done in the past. Right. So we've laid out the potential benefits and the pitfalls of AI. So I'd love to give our audience some real actionable takeaways so that um, that they can use when they're evaluating an AI power solution. So if we were to give our audience a framework for thinking about AI, sort of a list of guiding questions, the first one might be, what problem are you actually trying to solve? Uh, 
Yeah, I know this, um, Lauren, that is absolutely the right question to start with. And while this question sounds very basic and rudimentary, it's really important for two reasons. First, there are just a wide range of AI tools um, that are available in the market, but they're not all equally effective at addressing all tasks. And secondly, almost every AI model that you're going to encounter in the market today is really trained to do only one specific task. So let's just unpack this a little further. Um, there are different tools available in the AI space that are better solved, um, rather better suited for solving some types of problems than others. So for example, if you're trying to interpret documentation, you're probably looking at a solution that's based on either NLP or large language models. If you have a classification problem, on the other hand, you're most likely going to have better luck with the gradient boosted machines or neural networks. And then last but not least, let's say if you're trying to do something with image recognition, you're most likely going to go in and leverage a tool uh, from that leverages deep. Different tools have different applicability to different problems. So it's really, really important that we don't get carried away with the latest and greatest hype. Uh, today, you can't blink your eyes without talking about ChatGPT. Um, yeah. There are lots of things, large language models and GPT-4 do extremely well. But you've also heard enough examples where honestly, ChatGPT is just a smooth talker with little sense of reality. So there are tons of hallucinations in that model. It's powerful in its domain, but let's be honest, none of us are trusting it right now to perform open heart surgery or make a clinical decision. Right, so there's no there's no silver bullet that's solving, where it's one thing solving all problems. Exactly, exactly. Um, and there's another thing that I want you to keep in mind, right? Um, that um, as I mentioned earlier, every model that you're going to encounter today is really, really trained to do a very specific task. So you won't use the same model to identify cerebral edema in a CT scan that you would use to um, classify pleural infusions in a X-ray. Even though for us, we might say, well, they're both image interpretation problems. So why can't you use that same model? The truth is the data that the model is trained on and the task that it's being asked to do is very different. And so we just always have to be cognizant of it um, so that we really can distill down what is it, that AI solution trying to do for me and does it really help solve the business problem that I set out to try and solve. Right. So next question, if I'm someone who's evaluating artificial intelligence, so next thing for me to keep in mind is how well does the model perform? Because I think some people might think, oh, you know, this is powered by AI. There's a lot of computers. It must be like really successful at what it's doing. It's going to be doing this perfectly. But that's not actually really realistic, is it? Uh, you're spot on right again, Lauren. Um, the reality is AI's accuracy or success is always on a spectrum. And there's always trade-offs that I think all of us should be cognizant of. Um, so what do I mean by that? Um, artificial intelligence models are always balancing sensitivity and precision. So if, for example, 
I'm creating a model that is flagging sepsis cases. I can create a model that is so precise that I essentially have no false positives. But the side effect of that will be such that I will have essentially made the criteria of my model so narrow that I'm going to land up missing most of the instances of sepsis. I'll have no false positives, but but I'll also have a ton of false negatives. Right. Maybe flag two sepsis cases out of the um, 100 that probably exist in my data set. Conversely, what I could do is create a model that is so incredibly sensitive that I can widen my net so much that I catch every sepsis cases, but that widen net will also catch a ton of false positives. So I'll have the 100 sepsis cases that exist in my data set, but maybe another 80 cases will get flagged that now I'm going to have to read through and get out. Um, so net net, the way I think about it is that AI models are constantly walking that tightrope balancing precision and sensitivity. And you can't over pivot on either access because it essentially renders that um, model impractical to use. But that also means that we have to understand that no model is perfect and you have to choose what balance of false negatives and false positives you can live with. So you mentioned no model is perfect. You really have to sort of choose, you know, what types of errors are you willing to live with? So if you, I'm an end user, I'm trying to evaluate an AI solution, what are some things that I should be paying attention to to help me sort of determine or understand how well is this model performing? How well, how, how good at, is this at its job? Yeah, I think one of the biggest things that people should hone in on is um, how much data was this AI model trained on? And was the quality and diversity of that data? Um, a popular credo in data science is garbage in, garbage out. In order to retrain a predictive model, it becomes incredibly important that the data used to train the model is of the highest quality. And by the highest quality, what do I mean? It means that the data set should be correct, deduped, properly labeled, diverse, unbiased, comprehensive, and must cover the complete range of possible input. So let's take, for example, if you create a model to analyze speech patterns, say to predict early state Alzheimer's, but if you've trained this model on speech samples only from users that have English as their first language, your model is not going to do a very good job when it encounters a patient where English is not their native language. So it's just not enough to have a data set that's representative of the patient population. You need to ensure that any minorities in your patient population are also well represented in that data. And then I think sort of the second thing, you know, you're looking at how much data is fueling this. And then you also have to look at how are we measuring the success of the model? Because there's really a, a couple different, you've already mentioned precision and sensitivity. There's really a couple different measurements or calculations of the successfulness of an AI model. 
Um, yeah, and I think uh, it comes down to a few different levels. So the first thing that you should be asking yourself is, well, how good is uh, this AI in completing the task that uh, we tasked it to do? So that's really the sensitivity aspect of it. How well is it guessing, which is a precision aspect of it? And then last but not the least, how many of these predictions that this AI model is making is actually accurate? So that's the accuracy element of it. Um, depending on your use case, you're going to have to find the right bias and balance for your models. Some cases, you don't want to miss anything and are willing to sift through more false positives. In other instances, you might be more resource constrained and all you want to do is focus on finding those home runs. Right. So... Third question for someone who's evaluating AI is when is the artificial intelligence making its predictions? And I think this one gets overlooked a lot, but it can have a really big impact on the actual usability of an artificial intelligence for your specific use case. Couldn't agree more. This, as I'll completely concur with you, that this is a lens that gets overlooked very often, but it's really important. And the best way to kind of articulate its importance is through an example. So I can give you an AI model that can predict sepsis. On its face, you'd be like, this is fantastic, very useful. I'm going to give it to my sepsis coordinators because it's going to give them earlier visibility into which of your patients have sepsis. Unfortunately, if my model is only capable of making its predictions post-discharge, it's not really going to be very helpful for your sepsis coordinators because right. they are looking to identify that sepsis risk within the first 24 hours of that patient's stay. So how you evaluate your AI should really, really correspond with the timing when the prediction is needed. Um, it's really, really important that everyone get on the same page on how to properly evaluate your model for its use case. And then finally, last but not least, the last question you should be asking yourself when regarding or when evaluating AI is regarding explainability. So how much insight can the model give you into why it's actually making its predictions? Because while there are use cases in the world where all you care about is the answer and how confident the model is in the answer, that's not really the case when it comes to healthcare. Um, absolutely. Uh, when it comes to healthcare, it's a completely different ballgame. Um, you know, in healthcare, you're constantly having to interact with other people. You're dealing with your patient's health information. Um, it's not okay for your AI to be a black box. You have to be able to discuss and explain why the AI model is making this determination, especially because what we just discussed earlier, no AI model is perfect. An AI model is constantly straddling that thin line between sensitivity and precision, and therefore also a balance of false positives and false negatives. Mm -hmm. Clear explanations are the predictions, so you can know when to trust the system's predictions and when you need to jump in and apply your own human judgment. Um, a practical tip, honestly, for folks that are designing software around AI to address this AI explainability piece is to tell and be transparent with the users um, how confident the model is in its prediction. Um, so a great example of this would be a multi-class models. Most confident prediction 
maybe only 15% confident relative to the other outcomes. Well, then tell the user it's only 15% confident because if you don't, many users will interpret it in a more absolute mindset and actually maybe make decisions that might actually counteract with what you would want them to do. Um, you wouldn't blame a doctor if they said they were only 15% confident um, and then they turned out to be wrong. So don't let them doubt your AI in the same way. Uh, but I think it's important that we're constantly being proactive in the way we design for it and are showing that openly to the users of the system. So we've given our listeners a ton of information at this point, and I think it might be useful to hear some real world examples of how uh, a company might actually answer some of these questions about their AI. So here at Iodine Software, we leverage artificial intelligence and machine learning within our software solutions. So we're just going to go back through those four key questions um, and answer them from the perspective of iodine. So at iodine, what problem are we trying to solve? Um, yeah, um, so at iodine, we recognize that it's very important to understand the complete clinical reality of the patient to solve a number of problems, especially in the revenue cycle arena, where what is happening with the patient in real time has a ton of impact on what you need to do and what you need to clarify. Questions such as what is appropriate level of care? How long will the patient stay in the hospital? Where is the patient being discharged to? Um, at Iodine, we leverage machine learning models to take in all the underlying raw data. So that's like observations coming in from labs and microbiology or results, medications, other treatments being performed, the orders being placed, what sort of uh, documentation is available in the EMR that the clinicians have noted um, in terms of the observations. We take all these piece parts together and make predictions about the various disease conditions. And then we leverage these predictions in a number of different ways. So um, in the CDI space, we actually use these predictions to compare the clinical reality of the patient against what's documented and then look for gaps um, in between that can be clarified. So when it's time to bill and code, the documentation is complete, accurate, and the health systems get paid in a timely fashion. In the utilization management space, we use these predictions to really assist UM nurses um, to figure out the level of care that the patient should be getting, as well as the admission status for the patients that they are taking care of. Broadly speaking, these are some of the true problems that we're trying to solve. And at the highest level, this is how we're leveraging AI to solve them. So second question for evaluating AI, how well do iodine's models work? Yeah, I think again, at iodine, we are truly fortunate because we have access to about a quarter of all inpatient visits in the U.S. Um, and this enormous set of clinical data is essentially what's fueling our models. Um, having more data enables our ability to target more rare diseases and ensures that our models have training to make accurate predictions across diverse range of patient types and clinical conditions. 
Um, in addition to that, we continue to iterate, experiment, and improve our models. We've been doing that for now roughly seven years. Um, when we talk about data science, it's not an accident that the word science is right there in the title. It's a process of discovery. For some of the more complicated disease states, we've gone through almost seven or eight different generations, each new version building upon previous advancements to increase performance in some instances by almost 60%. Um, in fact, even across a client cohort, we've found that we've been able to substantially improve client metrics across productivity via an increase in querying volume which in turn has real measurable ROI impacts in terms of increased MCC capture rates, increased CMI, and, and on an average, um, an increase of almost $3.5 million in appropriate patient reimbursements for 10,000 admissions. So then third question, when are iodine's models making their predictions? Yeah, so our models are constantly working concurrently with the patient state, and our models are constantly reevaluating in real time as new information becomes available. And then, last question How are iodine's models explaining their predictions? Yeah, as I mentioned, this is so important, and so we take uh, this to heart. We tend to bubble up the most relevant clinical evidence to our users. So they can see why we think this is this way about a patient and it's very, very specific. We're not speaking about a patient in the abstract or generalizing. It's very specific as to why does the model think this patient, Jane Smith, has sepsis based on the way she's presented so far. And so we also reflect our confidence levels around our predictions. So hopefully this sort of framework has been helpful to our listeners, both in hearing, you know, here are some four key areas that you should be looking into and asking about when evaluating a solution. And also here are four examples of how a vendor might actually answer those questions. These are sort of real answers to these questions. So I think that's gonna do it for today's episode. I wanted to thank you again, Preeti, so much for taking the time to talk to us today. Thank you so much for having me. Uh... And thank you to all our listeners for joining us. If you like what you heard, make sure you're subscribed with Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you like to listen. We'll be back next month with a new episode. Until then, I'm your host, Lauren Hickey. Thanks for joining. Yeah.